Well, welcome everybody. Good to have you inside. Sorry the weather wasn't better that we could be outside. I was looking forward to that. And I want to welcome everybody that's watching online with us right now. Thanks for being with us. Hey, uh, curious, how many NBA fans do we have here? Any, we got a few. Nice. So I'm not a huge NBA fan. I don't watch it during the regular season much, but I tend to watch it during the playoffs. And uh, the difference is, though, I, I listen to a lot of talk radio, sports talk radio. So I, I feel like I'm up to speed on what's going on in the NBA and, and the players. And it seems like these different hosts, they all tend to ebb and flow, you know, on the critiques of the players and the teams. For instance, the Lakers this year, they were down on the Lakers all year long, and then the Lakers make their way in the playoffs, and then they're winning in the playoffs, and now they're all big. They're all up on, on the Lakers. They're loving the Lakers and LeBron and AD and all of that. And then uh, they get to the Western Finals, and then they, they get swept, and now they're, they're down on the Lakers again. Have you ever noticed how these hosts, they tend to be a little fickle like that? Um, they have these high expectations, and, and then the players either deliver or they don't deliver, and, and it seems like it's a day-to-day -day kind of thing. But one of the things that I heard from a number of the hosts that really resonated with me is they were talking about the importance of being healthy, to being available. And they said, you know, it's more important to be available. Your availability is more important than your ability. Your availability is more important than your ability. In other words, that we we're saying, you may be the best athlete, you may be the best NBA player out there, but if you are hurt, if you are unavailable to play, then it doesn't really matter, right? Like they would rather have somebody that has a little lesser ability but is always available to play than somebody that has incredible ability but is seldom available to play. Makes sense, doesn't it? Um, I, I was thinking about Zion Williamson, if anybody remembers him, went to Duke, came out of Duke 2019, the first draft overall. You know, high expectations. This dude's a stud. I mean, he's a, a beast. He has all this ability. And yet, um, it's been four years since then. Out of 302 games, he's missed 188. That, that means almost two-thirds of the games that he was supposed to be available for, he missed. It doesn't matter how much ability he has if he's not available, right? And so he, he was drafted by the New Orleans Pelicans, and, and they had these high expectations for him and the team. And, I mean, they're pretty much bottom dwellers right now because the dude is not available despite his great availability. And the reason I share this with you this morning is because I think it actually applies to us. Like if you were on Team Jesus um, if you're a follower of his, I think it has everything to do with your availability and not your ability. I think God cares more about your availability than he cares about your ability. And I'm going to show you this. And, and one of my favorite events of all times, we're going to look at this in Acts chapter 2. Um, if you have a Bible, feel free to turn there. I'd love for you to follow along. Um, Acts chapter 2, so if you start in the New Testament, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. There you'll be. Um, Acts chapter 2, as you're turning, let me bring everybody up to speed what's been going on up to this point. So uh, Jesus had died, he was buried, and then he rose again on the third day. And then he appeared to his disciples. But not only to the disciples, he appeared to over 500 people, we're told. And he was sharing from the scriptures, the, the Old Testament as we know it, why he needed to die and be raised to new life on the third day. He 
had this ability, he was unlocking the doors to their minds so that they could understand the scriptures and why this was important. He was unlocking the door to their minds so that they could actually believe in him, believe that he was in fact alive, that he had conquered death. And so he, he did this for 40 days, and then on, on the 40th day, he ascended into heaven right before their eyes, right before the eyes of the disciples, Jesus rose and returned to heaven. But not before he left them with a command and a promise, a command and a promise. And the command was for them to go back to Jerusalem, to go back to Jerusalem, to stay together and to wait, to wait until God the Father sent power from on high. They had no idea how long it was going to take. And then on day 50, on day 50, everything changed. Now, um, that's what I want to pick up. Why was this important? Why was this important? So if you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, but you will receive power. This was Jesus speaking, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what Jesus was saying is he's got this motley crew, right? They're just average, ordinary people. They're down to 11. But actually, we learn in verse 15 that there are 120 disciples. We typically think in terms of the 12 disciples, but there are 120 men and women that were still following after Jesus. They were, they were um, gathered together in that upper room. So imagine like half this, like you guys are the chosen ones over here. I am sorry about you all. But the, uh, like from here over, you know, I hate to split up families too, but that's how it goes, you know. And so there's like 120 gathered together, and they're just waiting. They are waiting, and they don't know when the promise is going to come to pass, but they faithfully wait. And then beginning in verse 1, we see... Um, how this is going to come about, because there's incredible, incredible power here. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I've been trying to picture this scene. I, I want you to try and picture it with me. Again, mem remember, 120 folks gathered together in this room. They're just waiting, waiting on God, waiting for God to show up in all his power. And then they hear this incredible rushing wind, kind of like, um, you know, a bad storm or a hurricane. Everybody been in a house when, when you just have this incredible windstorm out there and, and you, you're, you're afraid, right? It's sort of terrifying. You're wondering, is it going to blow in the windows, the walls? Like, are we going to withstand this? And that's what's happening in, in their midst. And then something else happens that had never happened before or since. And we're told that it looked like tongues of fire came upon each and every one of them. It reminds me of, of Katniss. So everybody, the Hunger Games people, remember when Katniss was in that parade and she was like on fire, but she wasn't being burned up? Like I, I get this vision, like that's what's happening, but 120 people look like they are on fire, but they're not burning up. And then something miraculous takes place. 
they all start to speak in foreign languages, languages that they did not know, they had not studied. Imagine the scene. Imagine the scene. Now, what was the purpose of that? Why was God doing this? Was he just showing off? Well, I I think we get a glimpse of it here in verse 5. So, again, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So people had gathered together from all over the world. They were right there in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, like we just heard, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So these people from different tribes and tongues, they're hearing, they're hearing words spoken in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia. Don't you love that word, Mesopotamia? I love just saying it, Mesopotamia. So uh, some residents from there were there, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed. And perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, ah, it had too much wine. Here's the point of all this. As as I see it, I believe this is the point. Again, go back to Acts 1, verse 8, where Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's the immediate city that they're in, in all Judea, that's the surrounding area, Samaria, that's beyond that, and the ends of the earth, so all around the world, you will be my witnesses. God had given them the, this God-sized task, right, that would, receive, that would require God-sized power and ability. He, he was calling them to do something that they could not do in and of themselves. It was impossible. I mean, think about it. Back in those days and those times that, that these, you know, 120 were supposed to take this good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. How would they do that? How would they be able to, to make that journey and say they, they made it to all the different nations and tribes in the world? How were they to communicate with them? Where would they find a translator? But God had a plan. He, he wasn't relying on their ability. He just wanted their availability. Notice this. This is, this is what I, I love. So um, they come together. They're, they're gathered there in Jerusalem to celebrate. It's, it was called the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks. And the reason it's called the Feast of Weeks, it occurred seven weeks after this first festival called the Festival of First Fruits. So seven weeks later, and the next day they have this Feast of Weeks, also known as Pentecost, because it was 50 days, Pentecost, 50 days after this first festival. And here, here's another interesting thing that I love, love about this. So um, the Jewish tradition, really going back to, to Moses, it all started back in those days. Um, there were three feasts or festivals that all Jewish men were required to come to Jerusalem, to the temple, to celebrate. Three of them. 
The first one is the festival of first fruits. So all these men from around the world would gather together then. Fifty days later, they would come together again to celebrate the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And then later on, there was another festival in the fall called the Festival of Tabernacles or Booze. And um, it's interesting to see what that's about. But we're not going to talk about that this morning. So I, I want you to focus for a minute. Um, first, I want to go back to Passover, which happened to be three days before the Festival of the First Fruits. So do you remember Passover? Um, so the way Passover came to be, uh, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and um, God used Moses. He spoke through Moses and, and Aaron and went to Pharaoh and said, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Do you remember this? And uh, so they did that, and Pharaoh, he wouldn't do it. And so God sent these plagues, nine different plagues on them, and still he would not relent. He would not let the people of God go. So then finally he sent the tenth plague. This was the plague of death, that death was going to come to the firstborn of every household. But God had a plan to save his people. And he told them, if you will take a lamb without spot or blemish, a perfect lamb, and you sacrifice that lamb, and then take that, that lamb's blood and smear it over the doorpost of your house, that, that night, when the angel of death comes, when he sees the blood of the lamb, he's going to pass over your household, and your household will be spared. And that's exactly what happened. And so after that, Pharaoh relented and he, he let God's people go. And God told them, he commanded them, I want you every year to celebrate the Passover feast. I want you to always remember how I provided for you that perfect Passover lamb and saved you. Okay, that's what they were celebrating at Passover. Now, I want you to think about this. Um, Week and a, or a month and a half ago, what, what holiday did we celebrate? Easter, right? What did we celebrate on Easter? We, we celebrated the death and the resurrection of Jesus, right? Do you know um, what the Jews were celebrating at that same time, what holiday they were celebrating? Passover. While we're celebrating Easter, they're celebrating Passover. Do you know when Jesus was put to death? Passover. Remember, they were celebrating the Passover feast when Jesus was taken away, crucified, and buried. He died at Passover. And just as, as Larry was praying earlier, we know him by many different names, but we know Jesus to be the Lamb of God who was slain for our sin. Jesus was the Passover Lamb for us. He died at Passover. Do you think that's coincidental? I don't. It gets better. I, I didn't even realize this. So did you know three days after Passover is the celebration of this feast called the First Fruits? So the Jews would come and they, this was the harvest time, right? So they're, they're to gather up the first fruits, the first and the best of their wheat harvest, and they bring it to the to the temple in Jerusalem, and they offer it up as a thanksgiving offering to God for his provision. The first fruits. Jesus was raised to new life on that day. He was the first fruit 
of eternal life. And that through faith in him, we too have this promise that we will rise again, that we no longer need to fear death, that we will live forever with him. He was the first of the many. Do you think it was coincidental that he, he raised on the third day on that feast of first fruits? I don't. I don't. I think God is amazing in his timing and his plan. It's, it, it, it gets me. So anyhow, we, we keep going. So um, that happens. Now, I think his timing's perfect. He, he's given the, the Jews, again, those assembled, this impossible task, right? He says, I, I want you to take this good news to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, this unlikely bunch, this motley crew. And he realizes that this is beyond their ability, but he just is, is, is asking them for their availability. If you will just wait, I will give you the power to do that. They had no idea what that was going to be, and so they waited, and then all this happened at Pentecost. It's amazing. But what's, what's more amazing, I think, than them speaking in tongues and, and all of that was just how God orchestrated it all so perfectly. How he brought everybody together, these people from around the world. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit came in power. He not only rested on them and gave them power to speak in other languages, but he filled them. He filled them with his own presence. I love it. Now, another interesting thing about the, the Feast of Weeks has, has this direct tie, I think, to Passover. So um, at Passover, I don't know if you remember, if you came on Monday, Thursday, we had this Jewish rabbi who came and explained to us about Passover and how it ties together with Jesus and how everything that they are looking forward to is actually found in Jesus, and somehow they, they, they're not seeing it. And you may remember... Um, that they were supposed to, at Passover, the Jews were supposed to clean their houses. They were supposed to get rid of all the yeast or the leaven, okay? So in the Bible, yeast represents sin. Yeast represents sin. Leaven represents sin. And so they are supposed to clean out the house. Do you remember when Jesus was sitting around the table at what we call the Last Supper with his disciples? And he took bread. It was, it was bread without yeast, unleavened bread. And do you remember what he did? He, he took it and he gave thanks, and then he broke it as a sign of what was going to happen to his body, his perfect body, sinless body, body without yeast or leaven, was going to be broken and sacrificed for the people. Now, 50 days later, there's a new feast, a new celebration, and they bring bread as an offering. This time, it's not unleavened bread. They bring two loaves of leavened bread, like fresh, full of yeast, plump, delicious. And, and they offer it up at the, table, at, at the temple as a wave offering, as a thanksgiving offering. And it is received by God. You know what I, I believe these two loaves represent? I believe they represent two different people groups. The Jews and the non-Jews or Gentiles. The Jews or the non-Jews and Gentiles. And now, with all their sin, 
because of the sacrifice of Jesus at Passover, they are acceptable to him. He came for those sinners, for you and for me, and he receives us in. His perfection covers our imperfection. Isn't that a beautiful connection that you see between the Passover and and the Feast of Weeks, known as Pentecost? Well, that's what was taking place there. Again, I, I think God had a plan from the beginning of time, and we see how he perfectly orchestrates it. And um, it comes together in such a beautiful way. You know why I believe that's true with the two loaves? Because if you continue to read in in Acts chapter 2, which we're not going to do for the sake of time, but if you keep reading, you're going to see, again, that all these people from all over the world, they, they made their way into the streets near the temple. They're hearing 120 different people, you know, sharing the wonders of God in their own native tongue, and then they're asking, what is this all about? So Peter finally stands up, and he, he, he lets them know, and he gives his first sermon ever. And we're told that as he speaks, they all hear it in their native tongue, because he's got 120 translators right there, right? And so they are translating for him. And at the end of that, we're told that 3,000 people believed in Jesus and were baptized that day. 3,000 people from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth believed and were baptized that day. What do you think happened when they went home? You think they talked about what happened? Absolutely. And do you see how, how God was accomplishing his purpose of taking the good news of Jesus to the world through these 120, not because of their ability, right? Because of his ability and their availability. Isn't that amazing? That's what he can do. That's what he loves to do. And they just needed to trust him and to obey him. I love this story. And so I I think it applies directly to us because sometimes You know, we've been given the same commission, if you will, as that first team of disciples. We're called to share the good news in our Jerusalem, where where we live, our our Judea, the surrounding areas, Samaria, beyond that, and, and to the ends of the earth. We have that same call, that same command. God is still using us, depending on us, to take the good news to the rest of the world. But I think a lot of times we don't do it because we're focused on our own ability or maybe better said our own inability. And we don't feel like we are really talented enough, equipped enough, gifted enough to share this good news with other people. So we don't do it. And and we leave it to maybe a select few. It's not about our ability. It's about our availability. And what God is looking for is just some available people. See, the commission is the same. I believe he wants to change the world with, with a motley crew like this, right? With some country folks who are, who are just average, ordinary, salt-of-the-earth kind of people. I believe he wants to change the world with us. And he's not looking to our abilities. It doesn't matter how talented you are. He just wants you to be available because he will do it. 
See, if you're wondering, I don't know what to say. Like a lot of times it's like, you know, I don't, I don't know the Bible very well. I don't know. What, what if they ask me this question? I don't know what to say. And, and I'm, I think God's like, no, it's not about your ability. It's about your availability. And if I could have these people speak in a foreign tongue that they've never spoken in before, I think I can give you the words to communicate, to communicate the good news to your neighbor or to your family member or to your coworker. But you got to rely on me. See, the power comes from me, not from you. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. And so for us today, I, I think that's the challenge. We need to stop worrying so much about our ability and start focusing on our availability. What's keeping you from being available to God to be used by God? Because I think he's just looking for some humble people like you, like me, who, who don't have it all together, don't know all the right words to say, but are willing to say, here I am. Here I am, God. Use me. And then just trust. Trust that the Holy Spirit will speak through you. He'll give you the words you need to share the good news, and to change the world forever. Let's pray. God, it's exciting to see how you, you tie all these things together, that nothing is accidental with you, that, that even in the midst of chaos, in a chaotic world that we live in, you are still in control, and, and I thank you for that. And I pray that we would be encouraged. And I, I also pray that we would just feel a sense of relief that it's not about our ability or lack of ability. It's all about your ability, and all we have to do is be available. And so I pray right now in the name of Jesus that um, we would let go uh, of, of these lies, of these fears, of, of the things that keep us from being available for your use, and that we would be so excited to think that you might just use us to help change one person, to change one life forever and ever. What an honor that would be. So, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for not being available. Change our hearts right now. Change your minds right now. Make us available to you and to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.